It is difficult to read through passages like Isaiah, especially chapters 13 through 24, and not find yourself returning frequently to thoughts of God's judgment, which is hard because we don't really like to dwell upon the judgment of God, or at least I don't really like to do so. I have talked with a lot of people over the years who have a hard time with the Bible, especially the Old Testament, because they feel that it is just an endless trope of God's judgments and his wrath, his anger, continuously. And they say that the God of the Old Testament is just angry and mean. Now, I don't think anything could be further from the truth, but I understand where that sentiment comes from, especially when reading passages like these passages here. Isaiah chapters 13 through 24 are full of judgments. Judgments upon the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Moabites, the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, and so on and so forth. This is God's judgment, but it is largely at this point in time meted out by the Assyrians 2,700 years ago. They are, as Isaiah chapter 10 records for us or foretells, they are the rod of God's anger against his own people and all of the people of that time and of that place. The judgments of these chapters, they are heavy. And again, we don't like to think of God or to see him in this way as being full of wrath and judgment. So how do we reconcile God as he reveals himself in other places as being merciful and gracious, even slow to anger, when we also see him bringing his burden and judgment against Moab here in Isaiah chapter 15 and chapter 16. Actually, I don't think it's all that hard. You see, in Exodus chapter 34, God reveals his name and he reveals his nature in a very glorious way to Moses. As he passes his presence before Moses, he declares his name and he says this, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Have you ever wondered what God is like? If you imagine God and you use the Bible as your guide, you see all kinds of different attributes attributed to God. They begin to come to the surface. God, in and through the scriptures, he reveals his nature. He shows us what he is like. So you could make a list. God is great. God is good. He is love. He is mighty. God is holy and just. He is gracious. The list could go on and on. But among all of God's innumerable attributes, is there an attribute at the top of the list if you had to put one at the top of the hierarchy of God's attributes, what would it be? I've asked that question to a lot of people over the years, and I've got a lot of responses back. And I find it interesting that the attribute that many people have told me should be at the top more often than the others is God is holy. Now, it is true. God is holy. And he's not just holy. He is actually holy, holy, holy. So 
I can understand why someone would put God's holiness at the top of the stack, if you will, but I don't think that God puts his holiness at the top. I believe Exodus 34, 6 tells us what God would start with, how he would, if you will, introduce himself, what he starts with. And it's really, really important. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. You see, God could have said to Moses, the Lord, the Lord God, holy, and that would have been true. But if he did, I don't think we would be here. God defaults to his mercy first. If he, if he started with his holiness, we would be toast, but he begins with mercy, and that's good news. But this Coffee Time talk wasn't really about mercy. I was talking about judgment. Don't worry, I'll get there. You see, God is merciful and gracious, patient, abundant in goodness and truth, and he does forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, but he is still holy, and he will by no means overlook guilt. He will not clear the guilty. He will, after he has been mercifully patient, he will visit sin with his judgment. And that's what we're seeing in Isaiah chapters 13 through 24. By the time of Isaiah, God had been gracious, patient, and merciful for a very long time. But then the time came for justice and judgment. There does come a time for the day of the Lord, for the coming of God's judgment. God had been warning of that coming judgment for centuries through the prophets. And God, in his mercy and patience, he warns of judgment through the prophets so that the people might repent, so that his judgment won't come. But there was no repentance. After centuries, there was no repentance. And then eventually his judgment would come. Isaiah, in Isaiah 16, he says, This is the word of which the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. So God, for a very long period of time, has been been speaking of a coming judgment that was going to come upon the people of Moab. I've been telling you for a long time, it's as if God says, that judgment would come, but there's been no repentance. And then we read this at the close of this section. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, within three years, as The years of a hired man, the glory of Moab, will be despised with all the great multitude, and the remnant will be very small and feeble. I have been mercifully patient and slow to anger, but now the time of judgment is coming. And now it's going to come within three years. You see, the interesting thing about God's judgment is that it is very slow at first, and then it comes all at once. And when it finally comes... It is inescapable. Something to consider. We'll see you next time.